can say amen to that. Come on, somebody. I hope you were paying attention to that video. I could stop right there. That's the message. How about it? Let's pray and go home. I heard some of y'all getting into it. Well, good morning, Grace. <laughs> Makes me smile every time. Man, welcome. Welcome this morning. I don't know uh, what you walked in with today, but I know who we walked into. His name's Jesus. He's in this place. When two or more are gathered, he's present. Therefore, it's never been about if he's here. It's always been about if we're paying attention. And I don't know about you, but uh, I've had some on and off sickness. Anybody got allergies in the room? Where are my allergy people at? Cool. Cool. You swollen like me. You got boogers like me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, some of y'all like, mm-hmm. Almost, actually, some of y'all didn't come today because of those boogers. I don't know what excuse you got. Here I am. Uh, but I got to tell y'all something. I got to tell y'all something. Man, I walked in this morning. Um, this odd mix of like, oh, I don't know how great I feel. And then on the other end, oh, I know how great Jesus is. And even as we were praying before, man, uh, as a team, we were, just, we were just declaring in this room and in this, this country and in this world today uh, that we do not serve a God of defeat. We serve a God of victory only. So I don't know what you walked in with today. I don't. I don't know what you came in feeling defeated about, heavy about, or great about. I just want you to know he's over all of it. He has all of it, and he's holding all of it. The question is, how much are we letting go? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and um, do something right now, and I literally just in this moment feel like God said to do it. And I'm going to ask if you would be willing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open us in prayer, uh, and I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to get on my knees, and I'm going to pray to God. I want to ask if you are willing or able to, to do the same, to get on your knees in front of God this morning. If that's uncomfortable for you, let me encourage you that may be all the more reason to do it. So we're going to do that, and if you would, please do that with me. Jesus, we come before you today as the body of Christ, your loved sons and daughters. And God, I ask right in this moment, in the same exact way that we have a posture of submission, would you submit our hearts and our spirits to you today? I ask Jesus, whatever we walked in, myself included, whatever we walked in submitting to, that's not you whether that's people or a thing or a place or an experience, God, would we get rid of it in Jesus' name right now and submit to the only one worth submitting to, and that his name is Jesus. I thank you for this family. I ask that whatever the devil's trying to work this morning, whether it be sickness or disappointment or discouragement, whatever it may be, that right now we would just declare that you've already won the battle. Therefore, we can tell the devil to leave right now in Jesus' name so he has no place in here. So as we get into your word, you will unlock new things for us because that's how good you are. We thank you for being the ultimate shepherd, Jesus, for being our sustainer, our provider. God, every time I turn to something else, it fails. And every time I turn to you, you're there. And you're strong when other things are weak. And I thank you that in that weakness, your power is made perfect. Perfect. 
So would you use us, would you speak today in a way that would change how we view everything? We trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I don't know about you guys, but the times that I do pray on my knees, I realize that my knees aren't very worn. That wasn't a joke. I wonder what that says about me and about us. Hmm. All right, well, before we kick off, uh, we're going to get into today's going to be different. It's going to be different. We aren't going to be in Genesis. I'm going to explain uh, and, and we'll go from there. Before we do that, a couple quick, really cool announcements of things coming up that I just want to uh, fill you in on. Um, the first one is, I believe we have slides for all of these. So the first one is baptism, all right? So on Sunday, June 12th, Sunday, June 12th, we are offering, similarly how we did about a year ago, we're offering baptisms at Summit Grove. So if you are uh, a believer uh, and you want to take that next step of obedience to be baptized as Jesus himself got baptized. Uh, I would encourage you to go out in the lobby at the Connection Center. You can find some information as well as you can sign up if you are interested in more information. If, how many of you were at the last Summit Grove baptism? Yeah, how many did we have, like 30 or something like that? It was amazing. Like, it was amazing. So if you were there, it was really cool. Next announcement, next announcement. I don't know what order they're in, so I have them ordered on here, but I'll just go with whatever you're doing, Heather. Connection gathering? Yes! I was right. Connection gathering. So if you're new to Grace, throughout kind of the COVID era, we have had a, a huge influx of new people coming. We love that. We love that. We hope you feel like your family, because if you walk in the room, you've been here one day or five bajillion days, your family, that's how the family of God works, and we really believe that here. Uh, but Sunday, May 15th, if you want more information after the second service, you can come. There will be a gathering. I think there's going to be some food. There will be ministry leaders there to kind of fill you in on all that's happening here up on the hill. Um, and I want to be very clear, if you do not know what's happening up here on the hill, it's absolutely amazing. It is, oh my gosh, so much infinitely deeper than a Sunday morning. And I really want to encourage you that if, if like Sundays are your experience of grace, ah, you are really missing like 98% of it. Like, 2% is us getting here and preaching the word of God, and then the rest spreads from that. Like, just a random thing. Uh, I just helped move in him Christian Wellness's new massage therapist in. Someone say amen. Do you know what I mean? Like, God is working the lats up in this place. Okay. I mean, come on. Some of y'all don't know what lats are, but Ben Walker's laughing. <laughs> Connection gathering Sunday, May 15th. There'll be information out in the lobby. And then last announcement, last announcement. Thursday, May 5th, so this coming Thursday at Summit Grove, uh, National Day of Prayer. So Partners for Transformation, which Grace is a part of, is hosting a prayer gathering at Summit Grove. Our, our goal is just that tons from the region would come and just submit in the same way we just did in prayer. That's at 7 p.m. at Summit Grove. Again, information either on our website or out in the lobby. All right, all right. Now that we've got announcements out the way, those are important, cool things. Here's what I need everybody to do. Everybody to do stand up to your feet. Stand up to your feet if you're able if you're able, not if you're lazy, I said if you're able, you know what I'm saying, stand up. Which I, I want you to find not the same person as last week. Find someone you have never met. Learn their name and learn their favorite color. Come on right now. And if you're here last week, you already know what's coming, so you better do it. Y'all better do it. Find someone you never met. Never met in your life. <clears throat> Come on. Yeah. 
All right. All right, all right, all right. All right, there's not that many colors, y'all. There's not that many colors. Some of y'all just listed the whole rainbow. Some of y'all don't know the whole rainbow. Don't lie to me. Roy G. Biv, come on. All right. Real quick, real quick. The body, I, I believe the body of Jesus should buzz like that, okay? Church, it's not about you coming and listening to me blab, all right? Church, it's about you experiencing the gathering of God's people. Ecclesia, that's the, the Greek word for church. So that's what church is right there for me. For me is the interaction, the gathering, right? And I hope you feel that. But real quick, quiz time, okay? On the count of three, who did you meet and what's their favorite color? One, two, three. All right. Okay. Got it. Duly noted. All right, guys, we're going to be in John 17. We're going to be in John 17. So uh, we got, we got a, a sick pastor. We had a pastor on vac- or a well-needed couple days of sabbatical type of getaway type of deal. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So uh, basically, like yesterday, Jeff Smith was like, hey, Phil, want to teach tomorrow? And I said, tomorrow? It's like 18 hours away. I'm not great at math. That's not a lot of time. Um, and I said yes, because I, I say yes to everything when people ask me. Okay, my wife always says, learn the word no, Phil. And I said, no, there you go. <laughs> no, but uh, admittedly, guys, I, I was thinking, okay, well, I got like a million messages in the bank. Like, I just pulled the iPad up. I got like, I'm not joking, 200 messages from Awaken or the Grove that I could just be like, bet, let's do this one. And uh, God was like, no. You're not going to do that, Philip. Uh, the, the body deserves better than that, and we're going to give him what Holy Spirit wants him to hear. Amen. So I prayed for, I'm not joking, maybe 80 seconds, maybe 80 seconds, and God was like, here's the passage, and here's what we're going to talk about. So last night, I prepped this message from start to, to bottom in about two and a half hours, uh, and I went to bed tired, okay? Uh, yet, 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 I think it's what is needed to hear, be heard today by the body of Jesus. So I'm just going to recap quickly last week. The beautiful thing is while we're not this week continuing in Genesis, we will pick that back up next week. Um, It ties so beautifully, which God knows what he's doing, right? It ties so beautifully into last week's message, which a really good-looking, suave, eloquent young man gave, you know. And he was talking about grace. (laughs) Last week we talked about Genesis. All right, I'm done with the cheesy jokes. Maybe, maybe. Genesis 9 and 10, right? And we talked about this, this interaction with Ham and Noah, his son Canaan, and all these above things. Uh, quick question. How many of you, like, learned something new last week? Like, good, because I learned a ton of new stuff when I was studying that. But the, the primary things we kind of pulled out uh, were a few things. But one, our, our initial response. Now, there's, there's things to be followed, right? There's, there's processes and all these different things, and, and there's biblical things that go with it, but our initial response to sin as believers has to be grace. <clears throat> and, and then we talked about how it's not about what they do to you. It's about how what? We respond. The only thing we have control of in life, really, is how we respond to things and then lastly, we, we said, you have a legacy to leave. We looked at this lineage, right? And we, we talked about how, depending on how uh, obedient they were or faithful they were, and obviously there's grace and this has nothing to do with salvation, but like their legacy here on earth had so much to do with, with how faithful they were to God. 
And this week, uh, it's a bit of a one-off because of all the craziness going on. But he, like I said, God kind of gave this to me immediately. So we're going to be in John 17. So open up the John 17. We're reading the entire chapter, okay? Uh, and, and the working title, which I don't have a slide for, but the working title is this, Undeserved Unity. Undeserved Unity. And also, as I get into this, please excuse the nasally, crackly voice. If you've already noticed it, it's how you respond. I got allergies, okay? Or something like that. Undeserved unity. I want that phrase to sink in for a second as we talk about this and we read John 17, which is a prayer directly out of that video we just watched. Hours before Jesus was crucified. Here's why I think it's important for us to take this phrase, undeserved unity, and just sit on it for a second. Because what Jesus prays here is what he chose to pray as his final prayer before he's arrested. Okay? Sit on that for a second and we're going to begin reading. It'll be up on the screens as well. John 17, starting in verse 1. After Jesus said this, He looked towards heaven and prayed, pause. We're not even a verse in. But but quickly, I want to give some context. So he he says, it says, after Jesus said this, I think we'd be doing it a disservice to not quickly uh, recount what he had just said. John 16, 33, the last verse in John 16 is one of my favorite verses. It's a verse many of us, if not all of us know, and it says, in this world you will find, but take heart for I have, most of you have heard it. Now, I find it so interesting that in one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible, the very next verse, he starts this prayer, which I would argue is very challenging. Can I tell you something? Jesus does both. If you only know a God who's extremely loving and gracious and kind and just makes you feel really good, he is that. And in the same breath, he's a God that always pushes you towards further understanding. He's a God who always pushes you towards further faith, even when it's uncomfortable for you, even when you don't agree, even when you aren't sure. He pushes you towards that, and that's where we're at. So after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may be, so that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Point number one, we're just going to get right into it. We're just going to get right into it. The hope of our faith is in Jesus and no one else. The hope of your faith, the hope of my faith is in Jesus and no one else. Now, you might be like, okay, Phil, thank you. This is a Christian church. That's why I come here. Cool. Yet I wonder how many times we say something like this and our faith is deeply in something else. I wonder how many times I say I love Jesus, which I do, and yet I wonder how many times on a daily basis my faith is in something or someone else. Therefore, when that something or someone is taken from me or those things are ripped out from under me or the things I wanted to go a certain way or the things I frankly want in my life that God doesn't want in my life, fill in the blank for you, whatever it is for you, my faith seems destroyed when my faith was never meant to be in that thing. 
My hope, I don't know about yours, is in Jesus and no one else. And the times that I can recognize that it's been in something else is when something other than Jesus messes my faith up. Over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus says things like this. He says, it's not my time, right? There's times where he's asked to do miracles. There's times where he's asked to step up and speak and say something. And he's like, no, I'm not going to right now. It's not my time. And here in this part of this passage, verses 1 through 5, he says this, the hour has come. And I don't know about you, but I feel like when we hear something like that from Jesus, we should perk up because Jesus, the Son of God, has been waiting for us to specifically hear what he's about to say, what he's about to pray. And he kind of starts to, if you look at verses 1 through 5, he kind of starts to do this weird, like, third-person talking. And, like, you know, I was being a little judgmental of Jesus, and I realized how heretical that was. You know what I mean? But basically he says, like, hey, I spent the last three years with y'all, like, working with y'all, fighting for y'all, healing y'all, teaching y'all. But here's what you need to know. It's never been about y'all. It's always been about me. Like, look at what he says in these first five verses. He's like, he ignores the disciples. Like, he doesn't even, very shortly after this, he's going to pray for the disciples. And then he's going to pray for all believers. That's not his order, though. His order is first and foremost to say, hey, God, it's time to glorify me. I came here, I did what I had to do, you and I are one, therefore, it's time, God, the hour has come, glorify your son. The interesting thing about glorification of Jesus was, was not pretty, was it? I wonder how we view glorification. But, like, listen, I, I just got to say, you know, if, if our order isn't the order of this prayer, which right off the bat, Jesus says, man, it's about me, it's always been about me, it's never been about any of us. If, if this isn't about Jesus, like, I'm in the wrong place. Like, like I, I don't, you know, want to be involved in anything, any church, anywhere, any group, any faith study, any religion where Jesus isn't first because I think we're wasting our time. Like, the Son of God, I don't know about you, he changed my life, and without him, I've wasted eight years of my life in religion. I have no intention to waste my time in religion. I don't know about you, but I think anytime our faith is in something other than Jesus, we've entered into what? Religion. But I didn't do that. I don't know about you. I think many of you didn't too. I didn't do that because Jesus is who he says he is in verses 1 through 5. And I need to ask us today, has our faith been in something else? Oh, I don't know about you, man. I've been challenged with that recently. Maybe the last couple months uh, just, just personal struggles, whether it's apathy, anybody maybe can relate to that, not, not feeling super motivated to pursue Jesus, maybe it's internal struggles, maybe it's people in my life that are difficult, anybody got some of them, you know, and yet, and yet, and yet, the minute those things start stealing my joy, I should be aware of the fact that my joy was rooted in the wrong thing. Do you hear me? How can, something, how can something that never gave you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or goodness steal those things from you? The hope of our faith is in Jesus and no one else. I, I, I really pray this isn't just a cliche idea, but we realize the same way Ben preached on Easter, the gospel is for us just as much today as it was when we were first saved. Maybe it's a parent. 
Maybe it's a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a worship leader, a church, a denomination, an ideology, or certain theology. And yet today I believe God wants us to be free from the dependence on anything but God. Because my hope has to be. Listen, it has to be or it will crumble. It has to be in Jesus and no one else. And can I be honest with something? I want to I word this. I want to word this really gently. But as I've been involved in church culture now for the last eight to nine years, I've, I was involved in campus ministry up at Millersville. We launched a Bible study there, uh, and we were involved in a growing one as well, two separate ones, and, and then kind of started volunteering here for a bunch of years, kind of got on part-time staff, right? And then obviously Alex went and planted the church, and he's doing the amazing things he's doing, and I'm blessed to be here now, right? And, and through that, I have to tell you something that's been a really consistent thing I've heard in this idea of church hurt. I want you to lean in with me right now. I don't want you to tune me out. Some of you are are already about to tune me out. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I need you to hear me because this comes from a place of love. It really, really does. I hate the idea of church hurt. There's two levels to which I hate it. The first is because the church should never hurt people. We all should agree with that. The church should never hurt people. And yet, and yet, If church is about Jesus and Jesus never hurt anyone, how are so many people church hurt? I'm concerned that it's because we have a westernized church culture where our hope of our faith is much less in Jesus and much more in people. If a pastor can ruin your faith, your faith was in the wrong thing. If Phil Cook can get up here and you find out I got a whole bunch of sin behind the scenes, and now everything I've ever said to you is deconstructed and ruined, and that messes your faith up. That's great, because your faith was in me, not Jesus. Jesus will never let you down. He will never fail you. Again, I understand church hurts real. I understand when you get into a healthy community that you feel loved and supported, and you've got people around you that are, like, that's what church should look like. Yet, 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 that's not why you're there. Jesus is why you're there. So while, yes, I think there may be seasons we can walk through a pain, betrayal, things like that are real, Yet I'm going to reiterate it. How can someone steal my joy if they never gave it to me to begin with? How can someone steal my peace if they were never the provider of that? How can someone take my provision and my sustenance when they aren't my sustainer? I'm going to ask the question again. I'm going to ask it again. Have we been putting our faith in something other than Jesus? That's a challenge for me. I got my own stuff. It's a challenge for you. You got your own stuff. But do we see, when we say these phrases and we sing these strong songs like God is our unbreakable rock, he's our firm foundation, what, what, what we're saying there is that when everything else inevitably is coming to mess us up, he's the one thing that doesn't change. Jesus as your firm foundation cannot be a, just a cliche thing you sing. It has to be a lifestyle. And I I don't know about you guys, but in the end of times, this building will not exist. It will erode away. These chairs will all be ripped and torn and whatever. The screens won't work one day. And yet there's one who never changes and his name's Jesus and it's why we're here. Okay, y'all with me? 
Good. Good. So I want to briefly touch for the first time this idea of unity. I said my message title is Undeserved Unity. Unity cannot happen without a common goal. It can't. Otherwise, there's too many ulterior motives in all of us, too many different opinions, differences, apathies. You fill in the blank. There's too many of them. So before we get to this idea of undeserved unity and what I really want us to hear today, I want us to see here in verses 1 through 5 how Jesus lays a blueprint for us of him over everything. Alex, like a few years ago in youth ministry, uh, he might have stole it from somewhere. I'm not sure. But I loved it. He said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Are we adding stuff to our faith that we think is necessary? Glory to the Father was only brought by Jesus, not by us. Let me challenge us. Stop giving credit to broken people for glory to God. Stop giving credit to people for bringing Holy Spirit when Holy Spirit shows up just because you're here. Who have you been holding too tight to? Who, 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 what have you been holding too tight to? What are the things ripping you from Jesus and that maybe God today wants to show you what that is? I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God laid this passage specifically on my heart today because there are things, whether or not we know it, our hope is rooted so firmly in that was never meant to be there, and it's why we feel the way we do about certain things. Emotions come from somewhere. So we're only five verses in. Y'all with me? Can y'all, are y'all like, y'all can know I came ready sick and everything. So like, if you need to buckle up quick, you go ahead. I don't know what you got to do. Put the harnesses on. We're going to keep going. (laughs) We got a bunch of verses left. Some of you are like, Phil, nope, it's too much today. I did not come ready for this. In Jesus' name, get them ready, Lord. Here we go. Verses 6 through 19. 6 through 19. Now he transitions and he begins to pray for his disciples, so the context is different, Right? Starting in verse 6, I've revealed to you, or I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and you have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. This is you. They are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that you may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. Listen to this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. This part of the prayer is specifically to his disciples, a.k.a. his devout followers, a.k.a. if you're in the room and you believe you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is for you. He's talking to you. 
And I want to emphasize verses 15 through 17 again really, really quick. Our prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Jesus Christ's prayer for us is not that he takes us out of our situations, not that he takes us out of our pain, not that he takes us out of our disagreement, but solely that God would protect us from anything evil. They're not of the world even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. My second point is this. God desires us to fight the enemy by knowing the truth. God desires us to fight the enemy by knowing the truth. I'm going to explain if that's not self-explanatory, but I'll, you know, we'll get into it a little bit. I love this scripture. Like, like, again, I said John 16.33 is a verse I've had memorized forever. Now, as I study John 16.33, and I'm like, ooh, I can't be overcome by the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, then I get into this, and I'm like, this is a little more challenging. This kind of rubs against my flesh a little more. I like the idea of you supporting me. I don't like the idea of you making me walk through pains and struggles. Promise me you're going to protect me. I'd rather just not have them. Amen. Yeah, that's not how God works. I mean, it just makes me think of the litany of passages that says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to. But I love the scripture because to me, you know, I'm going to word it in a, in a philism. It, it, it shows that God's not soft. We do not serve a soft God. We don't serve a God that shies away from hard things. We don't serve a God that's not there in the hard times. I would argue he's all the more present in the hard times. Because I read this, and it's basically telling us, like, he's not scared of the enemy. Like, God is not affected by the emotional state of this world. Does that make sense? Now, to be clear, he mourns with those who mourn, right? right? And he's with us in all these things. Yet, he personally is not, like, he's unchanging. He is not shifted by the state of the world right now, which I think we'd all agree that is not good. In fact, Jesus says, nah, I'm not even going to pray, God, that you take your believers out. I'm not even going to do that. I'm actually going to pray uh, that you would protect them because they need to be here. I need y'all to hear that real quick. If you got hard stuff in your life, you got situations that are, are cumbersome or burdensome or tumultuous or fill in whatever big word you want that means hard, you are the one for that job. Like you are the, the, the army person that God sent in via his Holy Spirit to handle that situation, to be the light in the darkness. There is a lot of darkness. It cannot be exposed until someone of the light shows up. So therefore, that's why I think Jesus is making it very clear to his disciples, I'm not going to ask that your pains and struggles go away. I'm not going to ask that, that I put, no. In fact, I'd want to equip you to go make a difference in them. That's a very different mentality. I'm going to say another thing I don't like. I don't really love the prayer of like, God, come now, bring your kingdom. Well, first of all, he told us that he's not coming till all people have had like, you know, the, the cha every nation and every tongue. Do you know there's a ton of unchurched people groups right now? There are multiple, 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 multiple blah, 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 languages that do not have the Bible translated yet. I wish we'd stop praying that and start praying how we can go get Jesus to come down because we did our job first. Oh, some of y'all are like, hold on. Some of you are like, wait a second. I got to do something before Jesus comes back. Read the Bible. You have a job. You've been equipped a certain way. And Jesus here is making it clear, man, I don't want y'all to leave. Nah. You got work to do. 
And that's how we change the world. But, but I think the emphasis here in verse 17 on truth is so crucial to me. And I think we need to talk about it for a second because we literally live in, in this, this worldly culture of like free speech, which is great, how you feel, the do you boo mentality, the emotions of the moment, like the what I read on the internet is now what I believe about my life and worldview. And I think sometimes maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but we value that over nitty gritty biblical truth. And I say nitty gritty for a reason, because there's what I would call like, like grand scheme biblical truths, such as Jesus died for your sin. Hopefully we all believe that because that is a saving belief, right? Yet I think sometimes in the, the day-to-day of life, the emotions that come and go, the opinions that come and go, when it comes to nitty-gritty stuff that the Bible has to say, we skip out on that stuff because it's easier. Because it's easier to do that. Let me give you a couple examples. I think sometimes we confuse grace with I can do whatever I want because God forgives me. When Romans 6 makes it extremely clear that if we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? That's a nitty-gritty biblical truth. How about this one? We confuse speaking angrily with Holy Spirit speaking. When Galatians is clear, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness. It says that the Spirit will sound a certain way. We confuse peacemaking with allowing the church to be slandered. When Titus 3 says, warn a divisive person once, warn them twice, and have nothing to do with them. That's a nitty-gritty hard biblical truth. We confuse loving someone for allowing abuse to continue. When true love's spoken about regularly throughout Scripture, we confuse worldly disagreements as deal breakers when James 4 calls us adulteresses for letting worldly thinking divide you. And that's two believers, to be clear. We confuse emotion for truth. We confuse human allegiance for allegiance to God. We confuse our opinions for God, God's opinions, when our opinions are primarily based on how we were raised, where we live, and the things we've heard. And we confuse that for what God thinks about things. I, I, this list could go on effectively forever, but do you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the picture I'm trying to paint here? It is really important for us, really important for us, to understand that if we aren't fighting to know truth, We have to be very careful about our opinions. So my question for you is when you're not sure, when you're not sure, when you feel passionate, when you feel emotional, when you feel opinionated, are you burying your head in truth or the world? Do you bury your face in truth or other people's gossip? Do you bury your faith in truth or other people's Opinions, And I would argue that for us to have a valid and strong voice in the kingdom of God, I want to be clear, not an important voice, your voice matters, but to have a valid, a biblically valid and strong voice in the kingdom, you better be in this infinitely more than you watch Fox News. You better be in this infinitely more than, if your social media screen time is four hours a day, and sometimes I can be guilty of that, but can I also tell you I spent a lot of time in this book, If you, like, have a daily relationship with Netflix, but you will always tell people you have no time for community, like, 
if you love listening to people's gossip and their talk about stuff and it just fills you up, but you don't bury your head in prayer about that same topic, I want you to be very careful about having opinion on things in the church of God. Very careful. Because it matters. Standing on truth is how we beat the enemy. So if we have people feeding into the church of Jesus who are not rooted in truth, aren't spending the majority of their time in truth, don't have that filling them up, it's really dangerous. When we start telling people certain things, when we start speaking certain things, do you know that there's power of life or in the tongue? Both, both can exist there. If we want to be people who fight the enemy, Jesus makes it so clear. This is a prayer straight from Jesus' mouth. If you don't like what I'm saying right now, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Jesus, and that's a bigger problem. Part of knowing truth is discerning also what we hear from others. An easy way, I think, to judge that is if others are speaking truth, it's simple. It's a line up with Scripture. It goes right back to this. Do you know the word deeply enough that when someone comes to you and says something, you have checks? I call them checks or promptings. Ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can take that one. I got to bring that to Jesus. I got to go pray about that one. I got to see what the word has to say about that. Or do we just receive whatever and immediately that's how we feel about it? Think about Jesus in the desert. If Jesus functioned that way, our Savior, and thank God he didn't. He is God, but you know, you know what I'm saying. If he had gone in the desert not just having the word of God, he was the word of God, but you know what I'm saying, reside in him. When the devil would have come to him with this and that and the other and all these different things, he would have, oh, okay, well, maybe. Okay, I guess I could jump off this cliff because God would save me, right? You know, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I could be the king of all this stuff. That would be kind of dope. You know, power is cool. Every time he fought it with what? Let me ask you, if Ephesians calls the word of God the sword, are you equipped enough to fight? I'm not saying you got to be a Bible thumper and like, you know, every time someone comes to you about anything like, well, James 4 says this about this. Nobody likes you when you do that. Don't do that. Okay? My question is, do you have it living here enough that it's not going to bring your hope from Jesus to something else. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You wonder the first thing he wants to steal? Your relationship with God. He wants you to have the Lamborghini. Great, because that's distracting. When we, when we say God, he, the enemy's coming to steal, we're not talking about your house. You know what I'm saying? We're not talking about your bank account. He knows those things are distracting to you. He wants to steal from your faith. So are you... Like in the word enough? Do you know the word enough? Are you finding people who are wise enough that maybe you don't know and that's okay? Like it's a growth curve, man. I got so much to learn yet and I know that. Yet I've intentionally spent so much time in this thing. I study it. I get around people who know more than me and I listen. Oh gosh. In a culture that just tells you that the more you say, the more effective you are, can we be people who shut up? And to be very clear, that's hard for me, okay? So that's like a, I'm I'm working with you. Oh, man. A couple questions when you're discerning from people, just things to think about. You're discerning a truth from someone. Is this person sowing peace? James 3.18, go read it. If they're not sowing peace, it's probably not truth. 
Are they displaying the fruit of the Spirit? If they're not displaying what we're told the fruit of the Spirit will be, how can we trust that it's coming from the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, is this person coming from a firm biblical truth or do they seem very emotional? These are things we have to discern in real time if we want to be a unified people. But I think we need to realize that, that this right here is what God desires for us. This right here is what God desires for you. Not just to pull you out of the world, not to make it easy, not to help you avoid pain, but to actually fight by knowing his truth. My question is, are we fighting? And I think many of us are. And I'm appreciative of a church that does that. Let's continue. Verses 20 through 26. 20 through 26. He transitions one more time. So again, I think it's important to always, like if you have a study Bible or something, maybe yours has little uh, titles. Like for example, mine says Jesus prays for all believers. So now it's slightly different, right? He goes from praying for his disciples, uh, who, who kind of are his direct people following him, maybe the ones that are the, the, the devout ones, if you want to use that word. Um, and I do think there is a distinction. He clearly makes it here. And then he says he's, he's now praying for all believers. So this is anyone with like even a level of curiosity about Jesus. This prayer is for you and me. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's even praying for future Christians, right? The people you're going to go impact, the people you're going to go speak the word to, who are going to, uh, I pray in Jesus' name, come to know Jesus because of you, because of your impact, Right? So that's who he's, who he's talking about. That's who he's praying for. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may, may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Oh, let's stop. Do you know God's heart for you is that you would spend forever with him? That's how much he loves you. I don't care if you walked in today feeling ugly, feeling worthless, feeling frustrated, or you, you walked in feeling beautiful and bougie. Wherever you are, in the, you know, anywhere in the middle, God's desire is for you to be with him forever. That's how much he loves you. And he prays this before he's even crucified, man. He's wanted you the whole time. He's wanted you the whole time. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Whew. This last part of this prayer, I, I hope you've read this before. Um, in my opinion, the clarity Jesus gives here, you, there, there isn't arguing. There isn't arguing as to what Jesus' goal for his, his church and believers is, and it's what? Unity. Unity. The context, again, I mentioned it earlier, is that this is the single last thing he prayed before he was arrested. If you start reading chapter 18, he gets arrested. Like Judas gives him up, you know what I'm saying? And he gets arrested. 
and then shortly later will be led to the cross. And the fact, I mean, it's, to, me, to me it's mind-blowing that of all things Jesus could have prayed for, like my dude could have prayed for world peace, he could have prayed for uh, like, you know, an end of world hunger or that to even never even be a thing. He could have prayed for the end of slavery, like abuse, sex trafficking, like fill in the blank of these heinous crimes, these heinous things. And yet, he could have also prayed for the Ravens to win the Super Bowl, and he didn't. <laughs> I'm praying that right now, though. He could have prayed for anything, anything. And what does he pray for? The Son of God, our Savior, prayed that in the same way he and the Father are one, believers would be one too. And through that, the world would know him. Not through anything else, not through eloquent preaching, not through megachurches, not through amazing world-touring worship bands. Through the nitty-gritty, truth-based unification of his people. That is not a super westernized church view. I heard a really interesting story uh, just yesterday uh, of uh, someone who, who goes and travels regularly, I believe, to Nigeria and, and works with churches there. And he said one thing that's so different between specifically like uh, foreign or third world type countries uh, and their churches is that unification is not a problem. Like the minute they sniff division in the church, it's out because they know how serious it is. And you go to these churches and man, they are so one, which is why the church over there has way less resources, in some places way less people, far, far more people against them, far, far more things against them. And yet in some places it's spreading like rapid wildfires. Why? The body's unified. Let that sink for a second. Of all the things he could have prayed for, he prayed for unity. Here's my last point. Jesus offered us unity with God we do not deserve. Therefore, we fight to be unified with others that don't deserve it. I'm going to say it again. Jesus offered you unity with God you 100% don't deserve. You have done everything wrong to not deserve that unity with God and Jesus came to give it to you anyways. Therefore, it is the Jesus-loving Christian's job to fight for unity even when others don't deserve it from us or so we feel. Before I even get into this point, because this, this right here is the meat, this is the challenge, this is the hard stuff. And you're, you're like, really, Phil, this whole thing's been hard. Praise God. This right here, if you already, the minute I said that, you got people popping into your mind, a parent, someone you've had a fight with, someone in a leadership position, a boss, a sibling. As soon as I said a couple of those things, God convicted me. Oh, and you are not willing to be unified with them because of something you feel they did wrong, you are now wrong. I think so often, this goes right back to what we talked about last week, we fight sin with more sin. And in self-righteous, self-judgment, or whatever we say, we don't view it as sin, 
but we've acted completely out of line with Scripture, and then we are no better than the same people we're extremely angry at. And fill in the blank for your situation. Like, I have walked quite a few situations like this where on the back, I told you one last, we got uppercut at a trash can. Megan thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Talked to her about how she shouldn't laugh in church about things like that. In that moment, I viewed something as, as very wrong and I just met it with more wrong. I'm no better than that person now. Do you see? Do you see? If Jesus offered us unity we could never earn, why are we so slow to offer that to other people? Why is it so, and I get why it's hard, but, but with this new perspective, with this new understanding, knowing if we walked every day understanding what God did for you and how little you deserve it, how little I deserve it, I would be infinitely more likely, even when someone's hurt me, to be like, hey, I got to fight for unity with this person. I have to. Why? Not because it's easy, not because it's pretty, not because they deserve it, but because I don't deserve the, the unity that I've been given. It goes right back to last week. Those who have been given grace, give grace. If we're unified with God and we don't deserve it, we need to be people who fight for unity for other people. He uses his final words here, pre-cross, pre-crucifixion. Listen, to beg God, to beg God to help his people to be unified no matter what because that would be the biggest testament to the world. And listen to me, this is why the devil attacks the church the way he does. Because the devil knows scripture too. So I don't understand why he hasn't given up yet. Maybe he hasn't read the last chapter. But he knows what this says. And he knows that the unified church is going to be the most effective church. Therefore, he attacks churches like, I mean, y'all, if you've been a part of any church ever, you've watched it happen. And I want to, oh, y'all, listen to me right now. If you go to a church where the devil's not attacking it, leave that church. Because the devil thinks that they're comfortable and the devil doesn't need to be there, okay? If the devil's trying to work on your church, that's because the ground is shifting. God is working. God is moving. If you see a comfortable person who's like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel attacks. <laughs> well, you should start feeling attacks, my brother. You need to start doing something to get the devil's attention. Because he's not watching you. The devil wants to attack the church because unity is so important. That's why he spreads seeds of mistrust, slander, doubt, anger, differences, apathy, indifference, religion, politics, anything he can to make us feel a certain way about a certain place or a certain people or a certain person or a certain procedure or whatever, fill in the blank. Every single church ever has probably walked through something like that. And the devil's working it because he knows the minute he can disunify you, he's what? One. Now, we know that the devil doesn't win in the end. We know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against what God's doing. Yet, I believe the devil takes a lot of joy while he's still here and the little wins he can get. I don't know about you. I have no intention of being a part of one of those wins for him. So I think we have to ask ourselves what role have maybe we played. Again, fill in the blank for your situation but I want to just explain one thing as we kind of close out, and it's, it's this. Jesus here, more than any human in the history of ever, had every reason to choose division. 
He had every reason to choose anger, to choose judgment, to choose separation. How about I give you a couple examples, okay? So whatever you in your life you think it is that you are justified in being disunified, you're justified in harboring bitterness or resentment, you're justified in being judgmental towards other people, whatever that is for you, just hold on for a second. In this passage, plus or minus a chapter, when he prays this, in that same garden he prayed this prayer, his closest friends fell asleep rather than have his back. He felt betrayal. In a few short verses later, one of his closest friends traded him to be killed for silver. Not even a lot, to be clear. A few verses after that, an even closer friend lied to his face that he would never deny him and denied him three times in front of a lot of people. And then within a chapter, the same people who had welcomed him as king said, Hosanna, Hosanna, let me lay down this stuff for you to walk on, are the same ones that say, we want Barabbas, and they spit on him as he walks to the cross. And if, if that isn't enough, if that's not enough, as he hung up on a cross and they put nails in his hands and feet, a crown of thorn on his head, they mocked him as a fake king and even gambled for his clothing. I don't know what reason you think you have the right to be disunified from a brother or sister, but you have no reason close to this. Yet Jesus, right before this, chose to pray for what? Unity. I'm going to challenge you lovingly in this room. You have zero reason, zero right to not fight for the unity God says is the world-changing unity. Zero right. And I want to lovingly challenge us as a body, myself included, that whatever reason we have that right now we would just get rid of it. We would begin to let Holy Spirit take it off of us. We would be able to see the level of the sacrifice that God had and what he was specifically fighting for. Therefore, we can be motivated to do the same, to fight for the same thing he was fighting for. Because the type of unity Jesus is talking about here, listen, it transcends your emotions. It transcends your opinions. I say this part sensitively. It transcends even your pains and hurts. It is bigger. He is bigger. He had pains. He had hurts. He had emotions. He had betrayals. And yet he prayed for unity through it all. He says, so that we may be brought to complete unity, and then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know how you walked in feeling today. I don't know who you're mad at, what you're mad at, what situation in your life is terrible. I don't know what you think is a deal breaker for unification, but listen to me. If you're walking with Jesus, there isn't one. There isn't one. So go be unified. Oh, man, I don't know who the person on the forefront of your brain right now, the Holy Spirit's just like dangling it right in front of you and you're really mad about it because I'm kind of mad about it right now. Go be unified. Hey, let me just go be unified. Phil, give me something else. No, go be unified. Forgive. Repent for what you have to repent for. The only person you got control of is you. Love even if that you don't feel like they deserve it. Go be unified no matter what they've done. Stop leaning on people to sustain when God's always been your sustainer. Put your hope 
in Jesus, not in other things, realizing what he's done for us. And in the same way Jesus offered us unity with God that we do not deserve, we can be starting today people who fight to be unified with others that also might not deserve it. In, in a second here, we're going to sing a closing song, and, and we picked it intentionally. Uh, and it's because part of the song it says, I never knew that I could have a friend like you. I, I want you to sing that in this time. However you choose to do that, on your knees, standing up, hands in the air, coming up front, whatever you want to do, however you want to do that. But I want you to realize that, that when we sing those types of words, that I never knew I could have a friend like you. We sing it realizing that then we're called to be go, go be that for others. So let it, let it stir in your heart as we sing it today and let it change you as we walk out. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get into this. Jesus, I thank you for being my friend. I thank you for being my sustainer. I thank you that I don't feel great today, yet your Holy Spirit is unconcerned with that. So I thank you that you move that you are with us, that you are for us. God, I pray, uh, I don't know what it looks like for everybody. I don't know what it looks like in everybody's individual situations. But here's what I know, God. You have clearly called us to fight for unification. Would you lay on every Jesus-loving person's heart in this room to do what they have to do to be a part of that process? Knowing that in the end of all times, our opinions mean next to nothing, but the unification of the church means next to everything. We trust you. We love you. We give you the rest of this time. In Jesus' name, amen.